if your business is losing money and it's never made money and you're not you're not changing and pivoting you're making a mistake you know like this business is all about changing and pivoting you can't have the ego of thinking like you're right and the customer's wrong if the customer's telling you this isn't working nobody's excited about it sales aren't going up profits going way down you got to change you got to make a pivot and i believe that the one strength i have is i i don't have an ego and i will pivot a thousand times until i get it right thanks for joining me back on the podcast today's episode is all about restaurant investment my guest is the founder of a investment company in the hospitality space and he's also a former co-founder of a successful 70 unit chain so he knows a thing or two about growing a big restaurant business we're going to talk all about critical operating systems as well as technology and what they look for in potential restaurant investments it's a big episode stay tuned but before you do if you haven't already head on over to restaurantrockstars.com forward slash profits i'm giving away three ways you're killing your restaurant profits. Thought-provoking, immediately actionable information that may help transform your bottom line. Now, on with the episode. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Listen, I am a huge believer that service is your restaurant's greatest competitive advantage. But we all know that service takes time and commitment, dedication. Well, what if there was a training tool, a single tool that was completely customized to your restaurant brand, your menu? Let's start with photos of the plate presentations, ingredients, romance notes, allergens, everything that's important that your staff need to know to present and bring to life your menus for your guests. That includes your wine and beer list, specialty cocktails, everything at their fingertips. Imagine in the back of house that cooks, your new prep cooks, or anyone can instantly look at the photos, a list of ingredients with prep times and cooking steps, all the important things to produce each dish to perfection. Imagine there's also table layouts of every dining space in your restaurant with table numbers and even seat numbers because we all know how important it is to deliver the right dish to the right guest. This is a tool designed to enhance hospitality in your restaurant, not replace it. Learn more at servenow.com. That's S-R-V-N-O-W.com. Check it out. You know, paying bills is one time-consuming restaurant detail in a thousand other details. With Plate IQ, your accounts payable is handled accurately and automatically. Plate IQ works with 30,000 restaurants of all types, eliminating manual data entry in your accounts payable process. Technology takes care of line item general ledger coding to invoice payment through Plate IQ's vendor pay network. Now, no more paper checks. Your restaurant can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to payment and even earn cash back from paying over 180,000 vendors in the network on time. Plate IQ is your paperless digital filing cabinet that frees your workspace from invoices, receipts, and statements. You can search anytime by date, item, or vendor. See when everything is due and manage schedules, approvals, payments, and filing right from your mobile. Pay digitally by check, ACH, or your Plate IQ card. Best of all, no money leaves your account until it's received by your vendor, which improves your cash flow and cuts confusion. It's time to check out Plate IQ at plateiq.com. 
Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. With me today, Mr. Anthony Akil. He is the co-founder of Seven Minute Chain Be Good, a restaurant investor and founder of Streetlight Ventures. Welcome to the show, Anthony. How are you, man? Hey, Rog. How you doing? Great. Glad to have you. Glad to have you back on the show here. So, Anthony, where did it all begin for you? Because hospitality runs deep, obviously, and it all started somewhere. I'd love to hear your story. Yeah, for me, um, I it's funny, maybe a little different. I never worked in restaurants before, never, you know, ran a business before, but I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And when I was probably 27, 26, I decided um, I decided that, you know, it was time to do that. I've been working in an office for four years after college, uh, really didn't enjoy it, like hated the idea of having a boss. And me and my best friends, we my best friends, we were out at a bar one night and we we're like, you know, we don't have kids. We don't have any. We didn't have wives at that point, had no debt, had saved up all our money. And we were like, if we're going to do this, we better do it now. We wrote down 50 ideas, chose 10, dug into the 10, got, you know, chose, ultimately chose the, the top one, which was healthy fast food. And we started Be Good a year after that. So I, I quit my job <clears throat> literally the next day after that meeting. And it took us a year to get the first restaurant open. And it was crazy. I mean, like I said, we had no experience, never worked in the restaurant industry before. We worked so hard. I was working 20 hours a day, seven days a week and killing myself for that business. We willed it to work. And, you know, I, I learned a lot around along the way. I think because I had no experience, I had to learn everything, which I think is actually a pretty good. It's a good thing because I learned from the ground up. I asked a lot of questions and we sort of rethought, uh, or at least we we thought everything was new to us. So at some level, we had to rethink everything. Yeah, sounds like a school of hard knocks kind of learning curve getting into it. Would you say yeah. you were at the right place at the right time? Was the concept rock solid? Like, how did you make this work when you had so much to learn and it's like you really had no <clears throat> restaurant experience in one of the most challenging businesses I know? I think we were ahead of our time. So like yeah. we we were doing stuff before anybody else. Like we were doing uh, kale and quinoa bowls before anybody. We were doing green smoothies before anybody. I think a lot of what we did we were like first to the game, which has its benefits, but also it's it's tough. I mean, you don't, you sort of uh, blaze your own path. It's always, you can't learn from others' mistakes. I do think we were first in many ways, which allowed us to be very different. But, you know, I think that also caused some issues with the brand and the concept and operations. So... Did it take a while for the concept to take off in that first location, or did you have pretty steady business right from the get-go, and then that was a foundation you built on? Tell us about you know that early the early stages of starting that business, and then the growth pattern after that would be really interesting. Yeah, I think it, it was um, tough at the beginning. We uh, you know I think what's a normal uh, thought is you throw as much as you can to get sales up. <clears throat> so at the beginning we sold steak dinners, we sold hummus and pita chips we sold fish and like we you know over time whittled that down to a concept i think where we started was just healthy food i think it was too broad too you know all over the place i think we learned from that to keep things tight and focused and get operations right but it wasn't an, a success out of the out of the gate i mean it took you know a ton of work and a ton of pushing and always pivoting always changing Mm-hmm. I think that that was our strength is like we never settled and we never gave up and we just kept pivoting until we found something that worked. So 
did you guys stay in your lane or was there some overlap between what you did in the business? Like what were, what was your primary role versus your friend and partner's role? It's like, did you, did yeah, you have any overlap did. or did you do different things that you focused on that were important? Yeah, I think from the beginning we divided up the business. So I would say after a week we realized like if we're going to actually be successful. We're both entrepreneurs. Yeah. We needed to say, this is mine and this is yours. Um, I think that was one of the best things we ever did. I remember the conversation and, we were hanging out and we're like, this isn't working. Like we're fighting and arguing and we're too close to do that. We never had ego. So ego was never part of the equation, which I think sort of was the recipe for success for us. But John took over brand and marketing. I took over operations and finance and we, you know, he had his side of the business. He made decisions. I gave input. I had my side of the business. He, he gave input, but we really separated, it, you know, almost mm. from the beginning. And then when growth started to happen, what was that trajectory? Because you go from one restaurant to two, or you go from one to five. It's like, what happened in your case? Yeah. So we went from one to two, took us about 18 months, Yeah. two to four, took us another, I would say year after that, four to six, another year. So we, we were growing pretty slowly. <clears throat> I remember we had, <clears throat> excuse me, we had 12 yeah. restaurants and we you know, we were doing okay. Like sales were, they were okay, but not great. We were averaging like a million a restaurant, not, not high enough to be able to really sell the business or, you know, attract private equity. And we, we pivoted again, like we kept pivoting, but I remember this conversation with John and I said, look, we're going to give this one more big chance, big push, try one more thing. And if it doesn't work, we got to think of something else because we weren't making enough money to support the lifestyles we wanted. And it just was sort of floating, not doing great. So we first uh, introduced this kale and quinoa bowl, which as soon as we put that on the menu, sales went up 30%. Like, and I, I'm not talking over yeah. a year. Uh-huh. I'm talking literally that day. We yeah. put this kale and quinoa bowl on the menu and <laughs> sales went up 30%. So all of a sudden we went from averaging a million to averaging like 1.4 and everything changed. Like, you know, that literally that one decision changed the business. So we raised money. We had, it. Uh, we had, like I said, 12 restaurants. We had not really raised much money. We were mostly friends and family, if, if anything. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, we were getting all these term sheets from these private equity firms and everybody got excited and everything changed, you know, like literally within six months, everything changed. And we took on our first tranche of money, professional money, like, like at 12 restaurants, took on $6 million dollars. And then we raised after that, raising 12 rounds of capital um, over the next probably five years. And what we did is we set up a situation where our investors could sell. So those initial investors and really any investors after that, they were able to sell equity as we grew. So every round, investors could sell and investors could buy. And we created like a little market that really gave liquidity every six months, which that's a big deal for Mm -hmm. small restaurant financing. And that was, I think, one of the best thing we did was give liquidity like that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but once we raised that big round of capital, uh, we re- we started ramping up. Uh, the most restaurants we ever opened in a year, I think, was 28. And that was a big deal for us. And yeah, pretty crazy. I think we actually grew too quickly, to be honest. I think, you know, when you take on that type of money, when you take on that level of private equity firm, I would say that they pushed us to grow in ways that probably shouldn't have grown. So. So 
brand building was obviously part of this too, because you you were creating a brand. And as you grow, then visibility and awareness grows with it. Were all the locations, I know the first store was in Boston or was it Metro Boston? Yeah, the first store was in uh, Back Bay, 131 yeah. Dartmouth Street. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the, I would say, mistakes we made is we grew too sporadically. Like we had restaurants, probably 25 restaurants in Boston and then 10 restaurants in uh you know, five restaurants in Jersey, five restaurants in North Carolina, a restaurant in South. Like it was just too spread out. Yeah. I think that was a mistake. Just operationally, I think it's hard to grow almost contiguously like that. I think it's better to have pubs of strength. So I yeah. think that was a mistake we made. Um, but yeah. And there had to be some kind of reporting model among management, among all these different stores and benchmarks and, and sort of sales quotas and comparisons and you know benchmarks exactly um could you tell us a little yeah. bit about that were you involved in that because you were the finance yeah, that guy was my right? whole thing so you know we uh I, I sort of taught myself restaurant finance over the past 25 years but yep. from budgeting to reporting to keeping out you know setting bonuses based on performance i think we did a good job i think we learned a ton i think we, where we started was very you know mom and pop where we ended was actually really professionalized where we had detailed bottom-up budgets. We held people accountable. We had very detailed bonus structures. I think over time, we did a good job with that. Yeah, awesome. Now, how long were you involved in it? And it uh, at some point became a franchise as well? Yeah, we started franchising probably 10 years, 10, seven years into it. But I, seven years in. I started the business and I grew yeah. it to about 75 restaurants. And then yeah. I, I left Be Good and sold my shares uh, three and a half years ago. Okay. Oh, wow. That was a good run. Excellent. Yeah, it was great. So you learned so much, obviously, like you said, you were raising capital and you were obviously yep. growing pretty rapidly. And, and we heard about the challenges and the pitfalls of that, but the learning that you experienced during that time was sort of a, would you say it was ideal to transition into restaurant investing? <clears throat> yeah, I think so. I think, you know, what I learned, I think I learned what a good business is. I think I learned when, where issues come from. And I think, you know, I learned what matters to me in the restaurant business. And I learned everything from like the ground up. So like restaurant finance, restaurant marketing, you know, development, build outs, you know, uh, managing people, setting up systems. I think we like because of the way that we started this, we had to know everything. Yes. Like we didn't have any help. Like it, it created a good base for me to be able to do what I'm doing now. For so, sure. Yeah. Now. There, there's quite a bit of our audience that are independent operators that are trying to grow their location. Maybe they are a single independent. Maybe they have three to five. Maybe they have goals of franchising someday. And there's so much of a magic formula to that. And you mentioned a lot of them, but obviously, you know, selecting great staff and being able to trust the people you put in place, but also, like you said, locations are so important too. How do you, how did you select different locations when you have so many stores and you know you you want that perfect balance between not having them too close together like just all the metro boston stores but yet the visibility and the awareness so that you're getting a consistent experience that sort of thing tell us about how you choose locations based on available leases based on yeah we started out everything was gut um and instinct yeah i love that you know when you get out of the area you're in like I knew Boston really well. I grew up there. I knew like Metro Boston pretty well. But when you get into like North Carolina, yeah. DC, 
you know, New York. I didn't know any of those areas. So I had to, you know, we had to start looking at data, demographics, really figured out who our customer was, and then mapping where that customer is in the in the different areas we were looking. We set up a full growth plan, growth strategy. We set our our ideal demographics. We mapped out areas. We'd set up what we call fishing pools. So let's say we wanted to open in North Carolina. We'd say this is the area that has the ideal type of demographics that we're looking for. And that would be a fishing pool. And we'd rank them. And then as soon as a site came up in that area, we'd jump on it. So. So for our audience listening that wants to grow beyond their single location, as successful as it might be, obviously it takes systems, but it's so much more than that. What would you say makes one single location totally ready to move on to three to five locations with the same concept, just obviously expanding the brand? I think it's all about economics. You know, like yeah. <clears throat> you've got to have high sales. I think, the, like, I think there's certain metrics that matter a lot. If your cost to open is a third of your sales, you got something great. Okay. Mm-hmm. If it's two times sales, maybe it works. Interesting. Um, if your t- profit, like your store level profit is 20%, probably got something that works. If your, your, your prime cost is under 58, yes. you probably got something that works. I think it's literally things like that. Like you have to have a certain amount of sales in your build out has to co- cost a certain amount of, of money. Your prime cost, which is total cost of goods plus total beverage mm-hmm. has to be a certain amount and the money put to the bottom line i think has to be up above 20 percent. if all that makes sense then you should grow if it doesn't don't grow like keep focusing on tweaking those those yeah. numbers yeah. until you get to that point you know that's great advice because obviously if those metrics aren't where they should be then yeah. if things don't go as planned with the second location it's going to bring down the first location but if you've got a place that's bulletproof, it's got rock solid numbers, it can afford to carry something until it takes off or gets legs, or even if it fails, you know, if your number one yeah. location is strong enough, it can afford to, you know, but we're, now we're talking about risk and you know a lot about that. Yeah. I mean, you got to take risks. I think you got to be in the right stage of your life. You know, like I would never tell somebody to open a restaurant if they had four kids and no money saved. You can't do it. It's crazy. Exactly. You know, right. like for me, I was 27. 26, no debt, lived with my parents for five years, saved up all my money, opened my first restaurant. And if it failed, who cares? Like at some level, I was like, you had nothing to lose, right? (laughs) I have nothing to lose. I'm going to go for it. I remember those days. I'm saying I'm in a similar situation because I have kids and I have a wife and I have responsibilities, but I'm at a point in my life where like I can take some risks without it ruining my, my situation. You know what I mean? And and I think like you got to bide your time. Either you have to do it when you, you know, early on in your career or you got to save up your money so that you can have some cushion to be able to take risks and try things. Tell us about your transition out. Did you have this plan in mind that you wanted to get into restaurant investing before you exited Be Good? Or did you take some time off after you exited and try to figure out, okay, what's next for me? Like what, what happened? What was that transition like? <clears throat> um happened you know i took six months off or i said i would take six months off mm-hmm. but at my heart like i'm an entrepreneur so i, yeah, I yeah, really started moving. yeah like i just started coming up with ideas really the day that really before i left you know and i started thinking through things trying things pivoting trying another thing pivoting initially streetlight started out as a real estate company where we were trying to go to these 
secondary cities and, you know, buy real estate and then put businesses into the real estate that we could coach, help and support with the idea of sort of reigniting uh, areas of sort of uh, rundown secondary cities. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would say that that was a beautiful idea and it was an awesome idea, but it it's it just with COVID hit, it didn't work. And we so we had to pivot again. And at that point, we had all these teams set up where we had a marketing team and a finance team and an operations team really built to help and support these smaller restaurant groups. And when COVID hit, we just refocused on buying re- restaurants and trying to invest into businesses. So we, you know, bought margaritas. We took over Upper Crust. We took over running auto. We run Anna's. And I recently bur- bought uh, Burton's in Red Heat. Yeah. So combined, we have about 90 restaurants. Um, some we own, some we help manage. Um, but it's, it's uh, I think it's a great model. I think where we're at is we find really interesting, historically very successful restaurants. We surround them with support. We professionalize a lot of what they do, but we don't touch that ama- thing that made them amazing, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I, it's funny, like you, we pivoted Streetlight probably 50 times, but I think this is a great idea. I think there's this group of restaurants that need our service and this is, you know, we're sort of running with it. So did it start with margaritas? Cause that's a famous, um, New yeah, England based chain. That was sort of the first business then off of crust. So tell us about that process. Did you know any of, you know, the executive management at Margaritas at the time? Did you have yeah. these contacts and you reached out to them saying, hey, I think your yeah. model's fantastic. We're interested in getting And then you had discussions. Is that how it kind of went? Yeah, I, I've been introduced to Margaritas before the pandemic and yeah. I expressed interest in investing into it. Um, it wasn't the right time. When, when the pandemic hit, I, um, I was able to, you know, reconnect with the founder and we figured out a way to make it work for both of us, where it was a good situation for him. Um, it was a good situation for me. And we just, we made a deal, you know. Tell us, let's dig a little deeper. You you gave us some broad brush strokes about that business and how well you thought it was run. But what did you first see in that business that you said, hey, this is a home run and we can make it better and this is this is the magic formula, or I should say the mm-hmm. template of what we're going to look for in the future. This is our first one. This is what we see here, but it's sort of a model for what we look for as we move forward. Can you tell us what that model was or what you what you first saw in Margaritas? Yeah, I think what I saw was a business that, that had been around for 35 plus years yeah. and had always been successful through iteration of leadership and, you know, all different, you know, CEOs. Yeah. Um, it's a super profitable, profitable business. Very unique in that over forty percent of sales are liquor. Um, mm-hmm. That's a huge, super. Uh, yes, it is unique trait. And then on top of that, of that forty percent, over seventy percent of those sales are margaritas. So, I think that creates a really profitable, very focused model that you know I believe can be successful for you know forever. I think like. You know, the, the big thing with Be Good is we had to continuously be innovating, trying new things, pivoting. The beauty about margaritas is you don't have to do that. You serve really good Mexican food, really amazing margaritas in a good environment, and you make sure your employees are having fun, which leads to your customers having fun. Right. That's the recipe. And that hasn't changed for 30 years. Like this John Pelletier and Dave, his brother, they started this business all based around this idea of having fun, building an experience, and making a profit. 
And the way that they did it 35 years ago is the same thing that's going to make make us successful 35 years from now. Yeah. It's literally like really decent, really quality Mexican food, amazing margaritas and a great experience. And the rest sort of takes care of itself, you know? Yeah. I mean, that word concept gets thrown around a lot, but clearly there's a difference between a restaurant and a concept. And a concept is more of an event where it's timeless and people will always like it. As long as you adhere to that magic formula, you don't deviate from it. You give yeah. people what they want. And then people are having fun. So the customers are having fun. The customers yeah. are spending money. And it's a festive environment that transports you away from your daily life where you literally forget about what happened that day. And now you're literally in Mexico and the music's playing and you're drinking yeah. the margaritas and people are in the vibe and the spirit, right? They're giving an experience, totally. not just food and drink. And I think that's part of what has made that place so successful. All right. I agree with it. I totally yeah. agree. And we got to keep it and we got to realize that. And you know, I think, um, yeah, it, it was a great business. I, what it taught me is that there are these certain businesses that have withstood the test of time that are always very profitable, that don't need to be tweaked and, you know, pivoted every two minutes, but that are forgotten about from traditional private equity. So like yeah. a, a normal private equity mm -hmm. firm would have never looked at margaritas, okay? Because it doesn't seem like a growth business. It seems like time has passed it by, um, you know, they're looking for these high profile, high flyers. I'm sort of the opposite. Like I want something that makes a lot of money, has proven that it can make a lot of money, where you can professionalize it, give tweaks to the brand, maybe add a little bit of life, but you don't have to do this huge like lift to get this thing to be profitable. Do you guys get involved in staff training at all? And and we do all, all that sort training. of thing. We have you do training everything. person. Yeah. Uh, we build the systems for all the businesses. Yeah. What are those critical systems in your mind that every business, whether it's a restaurant or not, needs to have? I call this the business of a thousand details. And you've got more important things to worry about than calculating and paying your monthly sales tax on time. Well, that's where Davo comes in. Davo puts sales tax on autopilot for restaurants. Davo uses sales tax data from your point of sale system to set aside the exact amount of sales tax you collect every single day and then files it and pays it when it's due on time for your restaurant every month. Davo takes just five minutes to set up, and once it's up and running, you never have to worry about paying sales tax again. Davo costs $49.99 per POS connection per month, and your restaurant can try Davo for the first 30 days free. Davo was created by a successful restaurant chef and owner who knows what's important for your operation. Time is money, and you've got more important things to focus on, like pleasing your guests. You can't put a price on peace of mind. Why not try Davo for the first 30 days at DavoSalesTax.com? I think you need financial reporting systems so you can see what's happening and be able to make decisions quickly. I mm -hmm. think you need daily operational checklists. So like what you do, how, you know, what you do every day, making sure that it happens. You need safety checklists. You need food recipes. Um, we're starting to put everything on online where we have certifications for every position, you know, training materials for every position. So. So all your restaurants and, and your investments seem pretty diverse. Are any of them similar? Are they all sort of different in their own way? And when you're looking at something new to invest in, is it all that tried and true formula we talked about? Or is there something unusual that might stand out in your mind that says, you know what, I see something 
I can I can see around corners, and I believe this brand is going to be successful, even though it may not be where it should be now. I think that with a little bit of work and our help, we can get it to be something huge. Does does that happen in your business? I mean, maybe I, we would be interested in looking at it. I'm interested in looking at everything. We're sort yeah. of agnostic, but what has usually worked <laughs> okay. for us is yeah. <clears throat> this idea of proven, strong businesses that are founder led founder driven that are you know needing some level of professionalization some level of push some level of uh leadership and i think that you know that's what we're going to continue to look for like these amazing businesses that where we think we can help you know but you know, we're not changing things like you're not changing you're not coming into margaritas and ripping things up you're really just trying to uh make sure that you're executing on that original vision in making sure that everything is working the way that it should. Do you have investors for your investment company? Does it go multiple layers? Yeah, we have investors uh, if we need it. Uh, sometimes yeah. we do, sometimes we don't. Um, sometimes we don't own the risk, the restaurant. Sometimes we're more of a consultant. Yeah. But um, you know, we if we need money, we raise it. If we don't, if I can use just my money, I do that. So your reputation, I'm assuming, is, is sort of followed you and that based on the notoriety and the successes you've had with the investments you've made, do people reach out or companies reach out to you saying, hey, I need this help or what do you think about this? And they pitch you from time yeah, to time? All the time. 100%. They do. There are so many businesses. Well, let's let's focus on restaurants, obviously, because this is a restaurant podcast, but I could I could tell you stories and, and you're probably aware of it too. And here's a good example. You grew up in the Boston area. And I think the highest grossing restaurant in the country, you know, was the Hilltop Steakhouse at one time, right? Yep. Up on up on Route One. And uh, you know, and and after 50 plus years of business, it didn't stay relevant. It's its audience shifted dramatically. Mm -hmm. They didn't stay ahead of the curve, they didn't continue to innovate. I think they they sat over like a thousand people at a time, right? And yeah, it was this massive property. Yep. Yep. And there's there's such a learning there because it's the kind of thing where we talked about earlier and and you and you bore this out. It's like you don't fix what yeah. isn't broken, but you constantly have to keep innovating, mm -hmm. staying relevant, making sure that your customer um, is going to grow with the business, or you've got new customers coming in that also get what you're offering. It can't just be I built a successful business, I've been in business for ten years, I've done the same thing for the last ten years, and I'm always going to be successful. And that is a killer you know, to kiss of death mindset, right? Staying relevant and innovation, you'd say is important. I totally agree. I, mean, I think, you, you know, yeah, I agree with you. Am I back, Roger? I think you lost me. Yeah, no, 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 you're, you're absolutely here. Uh, what? Yeah, you're yeah. right. I mean, everything has to continue to evolve, but they're going to innovate around the edges and they're going to come up with new ideas and try new things. That's the way I think to think about it. You don't ever want to touch that core of that business. Same with margaritas. Like we have ideas. We're going to try some new things. we got some really cool idea around this uh, Cancun pizza that I think is, it has legs. Nice. But, you know, we're not changing the core of that business because the core of that business has worked for 35 years. Get big flavor without the labor with Smokin' Fast from Smithfield. It's fully cooked or smoked proteins, including American barbecue staples and global flavors. Everything from ribs to pulled chicken to brisket and barbacoa, all are authentically slow-cooked to perfection. It's so delicious your guests will never know it wasn't smoked right in your own kitchen. 
Now you can add barbecue to your menu without adding a pitmaster to your payroll. Visit smithfieldculinary.com. Well, you know, the restaurant business has shifted so dramatically in the last two years. And yes, there's been tremendous upheaval and so many restaurants have closed, but the operators that are still going, these are the worst of times still. You know, the labor crisis, the rising prices, the supply chain thing, the fact that you can only raise your prices in a restaurant so much before your customers just the market will no longer bear that price yet. The cases, the case cost of certain goods either have to take it off the menu completely and pivot the menu completely, which obviously has to happen in certain cases. But it's like the challenges right now are, are, are tremendous. Have they affected any of your businesses? I mean, obviously, the larger a restaurant grows, you got economies of scale, you got leverage with suppliers, that kind of thing. But that'll only take you so far. You still got to maintain margins and try to increase profits year after year, increase sales, all those things. And unfortunately, when all this stuff's going on, the guest experience is suffering at the same time because, and I'm not talking about any necessarily your investments, but there are a lot of restaurants out there that would have seven day a week business that they just can't serve because they don't have the labor to serve it. And it's harder and harder to make a profit seven days a week. And when you're open four or five days a week, it's like, what do you do? I mean, has this affected you? What are you seeing out there? Yeah, we see the same thing. I mean, it's not the same. It's tough. I think sales are there. Um, yeah. I think that the cost of goods is high. I think labor is super tough right now. Finding good people is really tough. Um, <clears throat> you know, all of that is, there's just a lot of tough things out there. I believe we're going to get through it. I mean, I think people are going to continue to want to go to restaurants. I think we're going to have some uh, headwinds this fall, to be honest. I think, you know, you've got a, people that are dealing with inflation and getting scared by What's what they're hearing on the news, and I think that's going to definitely hurt us, you know. It is. But uh, you know, people are always going to go to restaurants. It's why when in the middle of the pandemic, I was running around calling everybody I could to see if they wanted to sell their business because I knew it was going to come back. I yeah. mean, we're going to go through a hard six months here. I, I don't deny that. I think a lot of restaurants right now are struggling with the cost structure, and even with sales, I think it's starting to get soft a little bit. But People are going to go to restaurants in 10 years. So I, I just think this industry is always going to be there. We're going to have to evolve. I think this move to the suburbs is real. I think, you know, people wanting to have an experience and wanting to have fun is going to stick. Um, you know, I think that, you know, predominance of, uh, you know, or that loss in day, in day part with lunch may be real. Um, I think this, the more spread out day parts is definitely going to stick. So I think there's things that we're going to have to deal with. but. Does it mean that restaurants will never be there? No, like restaurants will always be. We just got to figure out how to be successful in this environment. I agree. What's the future look like for Streetlight? Are you actively looking for new investments right now? Do you ever take a hiatus saying, hey, we're just, we got enough business right now. We're, we're actively managing and helping all these properties. Our bandwidth is a little, you know, limited right now. Or, hey, we always got our eyes open. If some great opportunity shows up, we're all in. I think we're, um, I think we're, we just closed Burton's. We got a lot going on. We all the businesses i am always looking to be honest uh but i think for right now we're we're going to take the next six months and get our feet underneath us um margaritas is you know always a priority to me i think that company typically has a lot of growth potential and you know a lot of uh overall potential for the future but it but it needs some work like in terms of renovations and in that type of thing so i think we'll spend some time on that I want to continue to grow Streetlight, like the way that we've been doing this, you know, focusing on, you know, these older brands, brands that need some 
you know, help. And I think there's a ton of them out there, tons. So whether we're working with them and consulting and managing the business or whether we're investing and owning the business, I just think there's a lot of opportunity. So I want to keep doing it. I am ambitious to a fault. So I plan to keep going. That's awesome. Is there still a place in Harvard Square called the Border Cafe? Is that place still yeah, open? Yeah, it burnt down. Burnt down. Oh, really? Yeah, burnt down. No I, way. Oh, when I was in grad school, I used to hang out there and we'd go there for the, you know, the pictures of margaritas and the food and the whole thing. And it yeah, had a vibe awesome to it. Place. Super inexpensive yeah. vibe. One of my favorite restaurants. That was so, fun. So how long yeah. ago did that happen? Two years ago. Three oh, years wow. ago. Okay. Relatively yeah. recently. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. Well, awesome. What's your best advice now to operators? They're still standing. They made it through the worst of it. They may or may not see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it's like, how do you keep going? What can you tell these people to just dig deep and just keep going? Because there is brighter future ahead. I think it is going to get better. Okay. Like I think it is going to improve. I think that it's going to take time. I don't think this is going to happen overnight. Yeah. I would also give like a, a sort of the opposite advice. If your business is losing money and it's never made money and you're not you're not changing and pivoting, you're making a mistake, you know? Like this business is all about changing and pivoting and you can't have the ego of thinking like you're right and the customer's wrong. If the customer's telling you this isn't working, nobody's excited about it, sales aren't going up, profits going way down, you got to change. You got to make a pivot. And I believe that the one strength I have is I, I don't have an ego and I will pivot a thousand times until I get it right. And I will never feel bad about it ever. Like I, I think that is a real entrepreneurial trait that you make mistakes, but you don't think about it. You change again and make another mistake, you know? And then when you, when you'll hit it, you'll hit it and you'll know. But I think what some people make a mistake of doing is they get pigheaded and they think, I know what's right. I know what the customer wants. And they stick to a concept that's not working. If the customer's telling you it's not working, the customer's right. doesn't matter if you think you're right or you, whatever. You're, it's not going to work. I think that's the one other piece of advice besides stick with it is stick with it until it's not working, then pivot and try something else. You know. Speaking of pivots, do you see yourself always being in this business or is there anything on your bucket list that's outside of hospitality? I don't know. I, I went down that path after being good. I think I'll always be in restaurants now. Um, you know, I love it. I love the business. I, you, it's so it's a really unique business where there's a thousand inputs to it, and you can change things quickly. You can make pivots and make decisions really quickly. I don't know if there's another business like it. To be I honest, know. it's a business of relationships. It's a business of people, on you know, both on the guest side as well as on the team side. And yeah, yeah. if it's in your blood, it runs deep and it stays there. I know that feeling. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, Anthony, I really appreciate you being a great guest on the podcast. Thanks for sharing everything you've been doing and all your successes and all your learnings that you just uh, brought forth to the audience. Thanks again. Thanks, Roger. Appreciate it, man. All right. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Thanks to our audience for tuning in. Can't wait to see you in the next episode. Stay well. Thanks, Anthony. You are a true rock star in my book. You had the chops to start a concept from scratch, school of hard knocks, grow it to 75 units, exit out of there, 
pivot completely and become a restaurant investor and now see greater successes helping other restaurants succeed. That's fantastic. So thanks for being a great guest on the podcast. Thanks also to this week's episode sponsors, Plate IQ, Smithfield Culinary, Devo, and Serve, the restaurant training app at srvnow.com. We appreciate you being with us. We'll see you all in the next episode. Stay well. People go to restaurants for lots of reasons. What the customer doesn't know is the thousands of details it takes to run a great restaurant. This is a high-risk, high-fail business. It's a treacherous road, and smart operators need a professional guide. I'm Roger. I've started many highly successful, high-profit restaurants. I'm passionate about helping other owners and managers not just succeed, but knock it out of the park. You don't just want to run a restaurant. You want to dominate your competition and create a lasting legacy. Join the Academy, and I'll show you how it's done. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.